Amen. We've been studying the book of John. If you haven't been with us, it's the fourth gospel, uh, the most recent of our gospels, probably written around uh, 90 uh, to 100, uh, whatever they're calling it these days, AD, whatever it's called. Um, uh, but in the first century, this was the last gospel to be uh, you know, scripted for us. And, and it basically um, leaves the paths uh, that the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, kind of you know, traveled. And, and it gives us a greater picture of who Jesus is. John wrote it for a very specific purpose. And we've been talking about it throughout this series. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not in this book. He didn't get to write them all down, ran out of paper. I don't know why. Uh, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wrote all that he wrote so that everybody who read him would have the opportunity to understand who Jesus is and go beyond, to, to not just understand who he is, be familiar with him, but to be in relationship with him, to believe in him. And then from that belief to go forward into a life that was built around him, that was built in, you know, around serving him and honoring him. I am so pleased to have that as my life. I know many of you in here share that joy with me. Uh, but that's why John wrote his gospel. He was pointing people to Christ. There he is, believe in him, have life in his name. I find it amazing that in the world that we live in, people miss Jesus so much. Not just the people who don't know him yet, the people who already do. We get going in life and we get busy with life and, and we can kind of just, you know, Jesus just blends in with the background and we forget to have this life that we're meant to have with him, this life in his name. Uh, we, we're, we're prone to that, right? We, we look at things or look for things all the time and they're right in front of our faces we don't see them. Eleanor and I were looking for a, a charger for her laptop. Uh, she was certain that she had left it at work, did a, a quick kind of tertiary you know, run through our house and, uh, and, and couldn't find it. Didn't find it for like two days. Uh, after going back to work, she's like, this is gone. I don't know where it is. Uh, we were sitting yesterday at lunch with our family, just yucking it up like we do, Saunders style. And uh, I looked over and right on the bookshelf, right next, like, like five feet from where we've been for two days, there on the bookshelf, not like hidden, tucked behind something, didn't fall under a couch, just laying on top of a bowl on a bookshelf, big white apple cord charger thing. I'm like, babe, it's right there. Eleanor was sitting at that end of the table. She just looked over. Oh, there it is. Right in front of you. Who's been there? Anybody been there? Anybody ever asked? Anybody seen my phone and it's in your hand? Has anybody ever done that? It's just embarrassing how we do this stuff. But spiritually, the same is true. We can just kind of, you know, be in the, in the presence of Jesus, singing the songs of Jesus, surrounded by the people of Jesus, uh, holding, you know, onto a life with Jesus, having professed faith in Jesus, and we completely lose Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about today. I'm grateful, again, to, to live where I live and to have the freedoms that I have. Um, I've gotten on, on different times to, the opportunity to travel around our world a little bit. I can tell you for sure, this is the most Jesus-saturated country I've ever been to. Not saying that, that we're you know, knocking it out of the park as far as honoring him and serving him, but at least the opportunities are here. Didn't see him a lot in China. Uh, he wasn't hanging out you know, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in Russia when I was there. Um, 
But most of the churches in those countries have been converted to other uses. Europe, all over the place. Um, uh, there is far more opportunity for us to find Jesus and follow Jesus here than anywhere else that I've been in the world, okay? But still, uh, we, we can be surrounded by churches and bumper stickers on bumpers in the traffic ahead of us. We can, you know, have, uh, uh, you know, face group, uh, face group, yeah, shows you how much I use Facebook. Anyway, uh, Facebook posts and, and just be inundated with TV and media of all kinds, radio, everything, podcasts, there's all kinds of opportunities to learn and grow and we're surrounded by it and, and it doesn't move the needle in our lives. I was, I was at um, the gym yesterday morning, I've started to work out, I really enjoy it right now, please pray that that continues, but uh, um, uh, I was working out yesterday morning and uh, not every time that I'm there, but a lot of times that I'm there, there's someone there for the first time. This is the first time either in a long time that they're coming back to a gym or the first time that they're ever at a gym. And it's so fun to watch people walk into this place. Cause here's the deal. They are decked out. They went to target and they got the whole shebang. I mean, they, you know, tear off sweats and, you know, and, and they got the big, huge water bottle and they're just walking around the gym and, and all they're doing is watching other people work out. That's the only thing that's happening. Kind of, you know, sipping on the straw. Maybe they'll walk over here and they'll read the, the description of this one machine and what it does. Apparently that helps a lat. Whatever a lat is, that helps the lats. And then they'll, that, this one guy who was here yesterday morning, he went and sat on a, on a bench press bench and he just sat there and drank his water. Just kind of looked at everybody, you know. And then I kid you not, 10 minutes after he got in there, 15 minutes after he got in there, he walked back out. And he probably told his wife, yeah, I went to the gym. Yeah, it was awesome. I was there. <laughs> but he didn't work out. He didn't benefit from the things that he was surrounded by. And here we are as Americans, fat and happy on the, on the Christian message and fat and happy on the, on the Christian surroundings that many of us have been blessed to grow up in. I know it's getting harder. Don't get me wrong. My head's not in the sand. But we have been blessed as a culture to have as much as we do, and yet we just kind of, eh, Dress the part, hang out in the space, but we aren't in awe of Jesus. We aren't impressed by the life that he's given us. We aren't excited and engaged in life in his name. Uh, Jesus, uh, if you were here a couple weeks ago, meets this guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Jewish Jew, Jew man, Jew. He's, that sounds like a lot of Jews there. Anyway, uh, but he's like, you know, apex predator Jew. He's like as smart as you can get in the Jewish faith. He is revered in his culture. He's a Pharisee. He's a teacher of teachers. And he uh, is impressed by Jesus and the things that he knows about him a little bit that he does. And he wants to talk to him about things. But here's what he is. He's the guy at the gym. He's just kind of looking around at everything. In fact, he's a little bit even, you know, maybe better in some ways in that he's super active, but he's active in the wrong things. He's not engaged in the life that God has intended for him to have. It says there, as we read a couple weeks ago, that in uh, chapter 3, verse 2, he came to Jesus by night. It describes the time of day that he met with Jesus, but it also figuratively describes the condition of his heart. And he says to Jesus, he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I get it. You're different. And I'm here to find out more. But if you're here a couple weeks ago, he doesn't get to launch into all of his questions. I'm guessing he's got the, you know, the yellow legal pad, and he's like, all right, first of all, you know, tell me about the water and the wine thing. That was a cool trick. You know, let me know. 
Uh, no, he doesn't get to launch into any of that stuff. And Jesus just cuts him off and he says, hey, Nick, you have to be born again. Anybody remember how Nicodemus took that? Quite literally. He's like, uh, hey, I'm an old man. Uh, there's no going back to mama and, and, and re-entering, you know, the, the womb. It, it, it was, it's even creepy to talk about. It still is. But uh, that's how he took it. He said, I don't understand what you're talking about. That's physically impossible. And Jesus says, it's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking spiritually. You must be born of water and born of spirit. And we talked about that. If you didn't get to see it, go back and watch it online. But he's basically saying, you've got to be regenerated and, and, and cleansed of your sins. You need to repent. And then you need to find new life in me. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a new spiritual life. When I say you've got to be born again. Hmm. Nicodemus, he has a hard time understanding what Jesus says. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been like reading the Bible and been like, I just read that. I don't know what that means. Um, people generally uh, on first blush uh, have a hard time understanding what Jesus says. Nicodemus says as much. Verse 9, he says, how can these things be? I still don't get it. It's like first day algebra. Anybody remember algebra the first time you went in there? Where are the numbers? A, B, C, what is that? That's not math. That's English. A, little two, B, little two, C, little two. What are you talking about? Yeah, it's, uh, it's like a foreign language. I don't get this at all. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he's like, hey, man, I, I grew up in the Jewish faith. I, I understand everything uh, that I've been taught. I'm, I'm steeped in the, in the word. I, I've memorized huge chunks of the Old Testament scriptures. I don't know what you're talking about. Now, Jesus, isn't it very grateful that Jesus comes soft most of the time, that Jesus is gentle and merciful and slow with us? He's not gentle and merciful or slow with Nicodemus, at least not, not in this next line. What he says, he says, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't know this? You know, he's like uh, the, the character Jimmy Fallon played in Saturday Night Live, you know, a long time ago uh, as a computer tech. He's like, you know, well, you got to, you know, boot your hard drive. And, and he's like, move, Right. He's basically like, like serious Nicodemus. You're, and he's not just a teacher of Israel. He's the teacher of Israel. You don't get this? People have a hard time understanding what Jesus says about himself. But here's the real crux of the issue. People have a harder time believing what Jesus says. Not just understanding it. This is what the Bible says about us. That we're uh, dead in our transgressions and sins. Like sin has made us spiritually dead. And dead people don't understand things and dead people don't move towards the things that will make them alive because they're dead. Jesus says this to Nicodemus. He says, verse 11, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. He's probably referring maybe to him and his five followers that have kind of joined him in the story of John up till now. Maybe they were hanging out kind of, you know, in the cafe or wherever these guys met. Maybe it was Starbucks. I don't know. They don't open up their inside, and it doesn't matter. Anyway, truly, truly, I say to you, truly, truly, there being amen, amen. It's like for real, for real. I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen. But you, Nick, do not receive our testimony. You're, you're Mr. No Thanks guy. No thanks. It's not that you just don't understand. You're not interested really in understanding. Or you're not, at this stage in our conversation, uh, because of your spiritual condition, you're not open 
to the light that I want to give you. You're, you're coming to me in the dark. You are spiritually in the dark. Sin has separated you from the truths that I want to share with you. I was backing out of our garage this morning. I get up really early on Sundays now to get down here and get ready to talk to you guys. And I try really hard not to wake my bride up, uh, which is difficult because our bedroom is right next to the garage door as it opens, right? And so I, I, I do my best to have everything outside the room before I get up and, and be able, and, and so I quietly try to grab keys and wallet and phone. I got in the car this morning. We're backing out, or we're, I'm backing out of the driveway, out of the garage. And, uh, and, and instantly now when I get in my car, uh, my phone is sensed by my stereo. Somebody got this car, and it just starts playing. Like I play podcasts a bunch, so I just started playing my podcast from yesterday, which was great. I liked it. I was already engaged. I was awake, ready to go. And, uh, but something happened. I started backing out of the garage, and all of a sudden, uh, the podcast that was coming over the radio started going, it just started getting all garbled, right? And the further I backed up, the more garbled it got. Finally, I got past the big tree that's in the, in the middle of our yard, and it was completely gone. This is my signal in the modern age. What, what's my signal? My phone is in my house. So I'm watching the garage door go down. Uh, now I've got to open it back up. Now she's really going to be awake. Anyway, did you wake up? Oh, good. Um, and I run back in there, and I grab my phone, and now, no problems. As long as you stay close enough to the phone, these Bluetooth devices, cars, headphones, all these things will play whatever you're playing. But here's the deal. Sin comes into the world in the third chapter of our book, and it completely um, pulls us away from God and the signal that he's been sending. His truth is no longer intelligible to a sinner's ears, except by his grace opening them. He's, uh, he's told us this, John has, in different parts of his gospel already. If you go back to chapter one with me, he says this about Jesus. Jesus was the light, uh, and the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That's Christmas, the incarnation. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. He's the creator of all things, yet the world did not know him. How is this possible? The God who made us is unrecognizable to us who were made. He came to his own, verse 11 says, and his own people did not receive him. It'd be like your family members not recognizing you when you got home today. Who is this strange person in our house? Call the cops. Hey, I pay the bills. What are you talking about? You don't know me. Jesus is also spoken of here later in chapter 3 as John talks about this in the same kind of terms. Look at verse 19. It says, and this is the judgment. The light, Jesus, has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So here's our condition. We're evil in our sin, in our nature. We are lovers of the darkness. And when the light comes to us, initially our first reaction is no thanks. Please do not be shining that up in here. Because in our sin, in our nature, we prefer to stay in the dark. We've all been wearing these. Some of you are wearing them right now. Um, I, I trust all of us wore them as we walked in. But for the last year, these have been, you know, keeping the cooties out, right? Uh, but, but spiritually speaking, here's where the mask lays in our lives. It's right here. I'm going to back up from the edge of the stage at this part. 
But this is how you and I walk through life, spiritually speaking. Until we meet Jesus, the lights are off. Hebrews tells us that it's like this veil that's come over our faces. And until spiritually God lifts the veil by his spirit, draws us to himself, we can't see him. And it's not just that we can't see him like ignorance, it's we don't want to see him. We're like the, the kid who you know, gets in the scary part of the movie and just does this the whole time. Has anybody been in a scary movie? And you keep asking, when's it over? Is it over? Is it over? And you just sit there like this and you're like, the whole point of a movie is to see the movie. The whole point of your life as a created being of God is to see your God. But your sin stands in the way. So we're like, yeah, I'm glad I'm a Christian now because sin doesn't stand in my way anymore. Testify, anybody? Do we kind of do this every once in a while in our lives with God? It's because we wrestle with the old man. Even though we've been made new, we still, it's hard. It says there in verse 20 that everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Why does he do that? Because he doesn't want his works to be exposed. Come on, raise your hands. Anybody ever been caught doing something they weren't supposed to be doing? I know you have, Joe. I know you have. Yeah, what's your first reaction when, you, when, you, you know, when you're busted? Busted, right? What's your first move? Uh, 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 right? Hide. In fact, I, I think most of my high school career, most nights on the weekend ended with someone yelling hide. That's like, you know, that's just basically a normal weekend for me. We get into something stupid, we'd be doing something dumb, and, and it would come time for us to, you know, make ourselves scarce lest we get caught doing what we were doing. And, and th listen, that's a natural reaction in a human being's life. Why? Well, because you don't want the penalty of whatever you're doing. But, but even more sinister, deeper than that, is this innate sin-driven desire to be able to do whatever you want to do and to never have to um, pay the price for those choices. To be able to continue in whatever feeds your appetites, your lusts and desires, and to not have anybody tell you that that's wrong. For you to be able to go and just create and form a reality of your own making, to become your own God, as it were, and to keep the true God out of this kingdom of me. Sinister stuff. We don't want the light. We don't want to know that what we're choosing is outside of God's design and hope for us. Now this is obviously sinister in so many ways, but the thing that for me is so heartbreaking is when I talk to people who whether it's because of the logic that they've you know, received from college professors that they've sat under you know, in their formative years or the theological issues as they go to our scriptures and ask the bigger questions as to why God does this or doesn't do this or to just the willful, I don't really care. I don't want God. I don't want to believe. Whatever the, whatever the, the, you know, the drivers are in someone's disbelief in giving the Heisman to the God who made them, the greatest sadness of that to me is that what they were created for by God is being missed by them and they are missing out on the life that he desires for them to have. When I talk to our young people who have gotten too smart for God, whether it's my kids or your kids, that's the heartbreak for me. 
is that you are <clears throat> putting distance between you and the God who made you. You are creating you know, this, this story, this history of you that does not include him. And you're missing out on the things that God would have for you. You ever done that? You ever like, you know, just kind of had this like, you know, uh, determination in your life that says, that, that's not me, that's not what I want, that's not what I like. And then when you finally get around to experiencing whatever that thing was, you're like, where was this all my life? I hear that from so many people who, you know, grow up in the church, leave him, leave God in his church, and, and, and just go and do the prodigal son thing for however long. And then finally Jesus hits them with a two by four right between the eyes, and they're like, where was this when I was out there going crazy without him? I didn't know this is what I was missing. I didn't know this was what I was meant for. I was 50 plus years old when I had my first cup of coffee for real. I had tried coffee when I was like 19 or 20. It was this tepid, nasty, no flavor, bleh, uh, weak cup of coffee. It tasted horrible. I was like, I'm done. That's it. But I went to Uganda, Africa, and I had to preach to uh, uh, or teach a bunch of pastors at a, a training session there. And, and, uh, and, and my usual source for caffeine picked me up. Diet Coke was not available in the bushes that I was you know, teaching in. And so uh, the, 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 the place where we were staying did offer coffee. And so I was, it was medicinal. Has anybody ever said, well, I'll just do this now for this one time so I can wake up and have this one experience. And so I, you know, I'm plugging my nose. I'm doing the whole thing. I'm like seven, right? I'm doing the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's just do this. And that Ugandan ground coffee hit my tongue, and I was like, oh, this is not what I, co what I thought coffee was. And I drank that first cup, uh, cup pretty fast, and I was like, do I have time for another? And they were like, yeah. And I put some more cream and sugar and stuff like that. I was like, ooh, that makes it even better. <laughs> and I wore out coffee that whole week, and I haven't stopped. I had no idea it's what I was missing. Jesus goes on and he says, man, I, I want to I help you uh, have everything that God intends for you in life, Nicodemus, here in chapter 3 of John. He, he says, Nick, I, I want to share with you. I, I know that's why you came to me. You want to know more. But until we can get this one thing in place, there, the rest of it doesn't matter. Look what he says. In verse 12, he says, if I, if I have told you earthly things and, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? It's kind of confusing language there, so let's kind of break it down. Uh, he says, I've, I've told you earthly things. Well, let's, let's go back through the transcript. What does he talk to Nicodemus about? All John's reported is that you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus went very earthly on his initial interpretations, right? I've got, got to go back inside my mother? This is weird. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not talking, you know, physical or material things. I'm talking spiritual things. You've got to be born of water and of spirit. And so when Jesus says, I've told you earthly things, he's really only told Nicodemus heavenly things or spiritual things. So what he's saying is basically this. If you don't understand the, the stuff that you need to know here on earth to have relationships, with God through me. If you don't believe the basics, I can't share with you the tough stuff. The tough stuff's not going to make any sense to you. I was a, a college sophomore and uh, I was uh, uh, starting my first Greek class. I had decided to shift my major over to study Greek. I love Greek. It's an amazing cl uh, class, you know, language. It's what our New Testaments are written in. And so I was so excited to learn uh, all this Greek stuff. But, you know, first day, it's all Greek to me, right? Yeah, it's all right. So I sit down, and I've got all the books. I, I look like a Greek scholar. I've got everything that I need. You know, my pencil's in my hand. I'm ready. Uh, 
but it became very apparent to me in the first five minutes of this class. This is not intro to Greek. This is not anything like that. Because basically my professor, who I was supposed to be learning from, um, was, was assuming that everybody else had you know, been doing this for a while. And so he, he looks on his seating chart and he sees my name. He says, hey, Mr. Saunders, would you, you know, parse and, and, you know, basically translate this verse in Romans chapter three? And I was like, no, I won't. I won't do that at all. And he's like, is there a reason for that? Yeah, I don't know the alphabet, bro. I don't, I don't know any of this stuff. He says, are, are you signed up for Greek 401? I was like, no, I'm supposed to be in Greek 101. He says, well, that's tomorrow at this time, bro. Go, you know. I had read my, my schedule wrong. Anyway, uh, but, but the whole point of what he was saying was I can't teach you these, these greater truths about the Greek language and reading the Bible in Greek until you learn the alphabet. Let's start there. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, I know you're a teacher of the law. You're, you're steeped in all the scriptures and you know everything that you can know and have learned about the Jewish faith. And, and I know you have greater questions about who God is and how the kingdom works and all this stuff. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, until you get this part, the other part's not going to matter. He says, listen, man, I, I can tell you all those things. Look at verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. He says, that's me. He uses the same title that Daniel uh, uses of, of the, of the pro prophesied Messiah, the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7. He's like, that's me. I came from heaven. He's not pulling any punches. I could tell you all the stuff you want to know, but I'm here to tell you, you won't understand that stuff until you receive me and believe in me by faith. That's what he's, it's, it's what he's getting to. <laughs> and so Jesus is going to pivot from his... Uh, response to Nicodemus is, I don't get this. He's going to say, let me try to explain it to you this way. Do you do this with your kids? They don't get you the first time. Let me put it another way, right? That's what Jesus is going to do with Nicodemus. And what he's basically going to say is what I hope as we leave today, we all grasp. Whether we don't know Jesus yet and we need to find him so that we can have faith in him, or like many of you as I look at you, you have a relationship with Jesus, but maybe you've kind of gotten away from these foundational things, this simple childlike faith that he calls us to, this trust in him, this belief. My prayer for all of us today, wherever we are, is that we would, as Jesus prescribes here, believe in him and find life in his name. Look what he says. He says, okay, Nicodemus, let me come at this from another angle. He says, as Moses lifted up the servant, serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have what? Now, he's going to echo that again in verse 16. A lot of scholars think that Jesus' words actually end here in verse 15. Uh, there's probably, if you're looking at a paper Bible, there, there are probably red letters all the way through John 3, but most scholars agree that maybe John, the writer, is actually commenting on what Jesus says here in verses 14 and 15, and then we get 16. Anybody heard of, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there in a second. But let's cover what Jesus says here. He says, as Moses lifted up the servant, serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, he's talking about what happens in Numbers 21. If we can go there real quick, verse 4 starts like this. Um, this is in the, in the era that we just came out of studying. Remember the book of Exodus? Was anybody here while we were studying Exodus? Same time frame. It's the 40 years of their wandering in the wilderness. They're down by the Red Sea, as Numbers relates here. 
and they're heading in the direction of uh, the promised land. It says in verse four of Numbers 21, from Mount Hor, which was one of the mountains they stayed by, they set out by the way uh, to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. Edom was on the, the east side of Israel, and uh, that's where Petra is. If you've ever seen uh, you know, pictures of the, the, the city that's carved out of stone, that's in Edom. And Edom was the desert, 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 all right? Like there is nothing in Edom. There's, there's nowhere to get food or water. And so, uh, as is their want, uh, the Israelites, uh, you know, stay in faith and they praise God and honor his prophet. Is that what they did? No, if you've been paying attention, they did not do that. It says in verse 5 that they spoke against God and against Moses. And uh, they said these things. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? We've heard that before, right? For there is no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food. They're, they're so like four-year-olds right now. There's no food, there's no water. Oh, wait, there is food. Well, I don't like it. The man is gross. They're just angry. They're hot, dirty, thirsty, and impatient. It says there that the Lord uh, sent fiery serpents among the people. Whoa, there's a twist. And they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. This is kind of hearkening uh, to what we learn in the New Testament in Romans where it says that the wages of sin is what? Yeah, if you refuse God and, re and, and complain to God and, and point the finger at God and blame God, if you are in rebellion against God, is everybody grateful that most of the time he doesn't send snakes? Is everybody grateful for that? Everybody, everybody's hand should be in the air right now. Because you, you and I live in a world where snakes should be the norm because we are rebellious against the holy God. But in this particular situation, so that Jesus could have this conversation with Nicodemus, amongst other things, God allows for these snakes to hit the scene here in the camp that is Israel. As is so often the case, uh, when God sends uh, the evidence of his justice and righteousness, the people come to, in verse 7, it says that, that they came to Moses and they said, we have sinned for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord then, Moses. Pray that he takes away the serpents from us. And so Moses did that. He prays and the Lord said this to Moses. All right, if they want this to end, here's the deal. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. Then everyone who is bitten, when he sees that serpent, they shall live. And so Moses did that. He made a bronze serpent and he set it up on a broomstick. And, 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 and if any was, uh, anyone was bitten by one of those snakes, they would just look at the bronze serpent and they would live. I mean, just this little story, right? But it, it becomes the shaper of our gospel and our understanding of how it works. If you've ever seen like the symbol that's often on pharmacies and different stuff like that, it's snakes on a stick. That's, that's from Numbers 21. And Jesus says, just in the same way that this snake was lifted up in the air, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that anybody who believes in him will have life. Did you, does everybody see how the story is parallel? In Numbers, God says to Israel, hey man, quit whining, quit rebelling against me. In fact, know that if you do, death is the price of that rebellion. But I'm not this, you know, crazy, you know, uh, 
uh, you know, vicious God who just wants to punish. And I, I have a heart for you. I love you. And if you cry out to me and you repent of your sin, I will make a way for you to live. Even as you've been bit by these snakes and you are slowly dying, I will make a way for that to be remedied. Now, these, these Israelites could have got, gone some different routes with this. Maybe some of them did. We don't have evidence of it. But maybe some of them said, you know what? I'm not going to look at the snake. I'm going to go out and I'm going to try to research on the, online, you know, maybe some remedies for snake bites. And I'm going to try to figure this out on my own and heal myself. Lots of people do that in the age that we live in with Jesus. I don't need Jesus. I'll concoct my own gospel. I'll create my own means of justification. I'll figure out, you know, in my own head, as long as I'm better than TJ and certainly better, you know, than uh, Jonna, I'll, I'll be okay. Because in, in the gospel of me, that's how it works. And so I'll just make my own plan. I'll make my own efforts. I'll, I'll use all of me in bringing about this situation. But in, in this situation, those efforts will not work. The only thing that saved from the snake bites was looking and believing in the snake that was on the pole. I find it really interesting because we're almost out of time. I find it really interesting that uh, God told Moses to make a snake. I would have made like a smiley face emoji or something like that, you know, like, like not the snake. The snake's the problem. But he's very, he's very specific. I want you to put a snake on the pole. And when they look at the snake, in effect, and they believe by looking at the snake, um, in effect what happens is that the, 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 the effects of the snake, the, the poison that comes from the snake will be healed. This makes this one verse in 2 Corinthians make so much more sense to me. Now, Paul's writing to the church there in Corinth, and this is what he says about Jesus. I've heard this my whole life, and now I'm like, oh, I get it now. He says this, for our sake, God the Father, he made him, Jesus, to be what? To be sin. He made Jesus, who was perfect and without sin, to become sin. Have you ever wrapped your head around that? A sinless one became sin for what purpose? For us. He became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now go back to John chapter 3. When we list, uh, look at the Son of Man lifted up, and when it says lifted up, he's on a different kind of stick. He's on a cross, and he's dying for our sins. And just as the snake on the stick saved people from the effects of the snake in the desert, Jesus, who became sin for us, who we looked at so that we would be forgiven of our sin. It's our faith in him that saves us and reverses the curse that sin has brought upon us. Love that, man. I hope that makes better sense for you. And let's close with this one. Because it's the famous one. It's the end zone verse. It's the verse that you, you see most often in, in culture. It's a verse that a guy, a wrestler, you know, took for himself. Austin 316, that was a years ago. Anyway, but it's, it's, it, to me, there's all kinds of great verses in the Bible. Don't get me wrong, I love all of them. But if you had to like write on a postcard the one thing that the Bible's trying to say, this is it. All of the Old Testament points towards it and all of the New Testament points back to it. And everything that is the Christ life emanates from these words. 
that we have in John 3.16. I know we all memorized it in different, la- or different translations. Uh, you can read it with me if you want, or you could say it from memory using the words you memorized it in. Here it comes. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God starts with love, right? Have you, have you paused recently to just fathom the love of God? You know, Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 3, and he says, you know what my prayer for is? My prayer for you guys is that you know how high and how deep and how wide and how long is the love of God. It's all these, like, dimensions, you know, I'm trying to picture high and wide. What's he saying? He's basically saying, I pray that you could just begin to scratch the surface of the infinite nature of God's love. God, it says, it didn't say God loved the world. It got, says God so loved the world. It brings in this like, um, this, this comparison word. So it's just, it, it, it's so out of, it's so crazy what God did. It's so wild what God did. God so loved the world that he gave. Now it says there, before we get to the given part, it says there that he loved the world. You know what Nicodemus is thinking when he gets to see Jesus? God loves Israel. God only loves Israel. It's in our book. We're the children of God. But this is one of the errors that Israel has made. It's never been just about the Jews. In fact, God had promised that from the seed of Abraham, he would bless all nations. And so Jesus brings that back into play. He says, listen, here's the, here's the good news. Here's the story that you must believe so that you might have life. God so loved everybody that he gave his son The Son of Man came, lived a perfect life, became for us a perfect sacrifice, so that as he becomes sin for us, we could look to him and we could receive in our belief in him the solution for the sins that have kept us from God. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And he did all that so that we might have life. But it comes with a condition. Some of you are like, no, 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 God's love is unconditional. Au contraire, mon frere, that's French. That means, no, it's not. It comes with the condition of our belief. We can't do anything in our works to become righteous, but God requires that by faith we receive what Jesus has given us. So, God so loved the world. His love is amazing. He loved the world, not just Israel. He gave his son. Love is measured in what we're willing to sacrifice and give for someone else. He did it all so that on this one condition that people would choose him and receive him, like it says in John chapter 1, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Those who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, it comes through faith in Jesus. And so if you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus yet, I'm calling you out. Come and meet him. Come and receive what you've been missing. It's the coffee that's not been in your life, but way better. I know I'm talking to a bunch of people who already have, so can I just close with this? Do you believe in what you believe in? Somebody like, yeah. No, pick up my, my sense of this. Pick up what I'm really saying. Because I know we all agree, or we've all 
in the past received, if, if we have, our faith in Jesus, and it's you know, set us apart and, and, and marked us for eternity with him like the verse promises. But, but here's, here's the thing, I don't know about you, but in the Christ life, I can believe without believing, if you know what I'm saying. I can believe without that affecting how I live. I can believe without truly giving my entire trust and placing my you know, complete hope in the one that I say I believe in. I am constantly hedging my bets on Jesus, coming around on the edges, trying to compensate for where he might miss. And look at me and hear this, please. If that's you, that's often me. That is sin. That is rebellion, even as, as you, know, uh, you know, unrebellious as it might seem. It's a re- what God hopes for all of us is for us to believe in Jesus and to have life in his name. That's why John wrote his book. And so I don't know what's going on in your life. I know there's been, I sat down with, you know, a guy yesterday who's gone through an incredible grief. There's people who are mourning. There's people who are suffering. There's, um, you know, just all kinds of stuff. Uh, Mickey was talking about that earlier. Travis was talking about that. We, we face life. Life is hard. And then we die. But it, it doesn't have to be that way. We can walk through whatever we're facing in life confident that God so loves us, that God has provided for us in, in Christ, that God uh, has included us in eternal life with him. It should change everything about how we approach every day. And so that's my prayer as we close. Will you stand with me as we do? Let me just pray for us. Hey, God, I know I'm standing in front of uh, many friends for, for years. Uh, uh, I'm standing, uh, you know, in front of, in this room and probably online folks that I've never met. Um, and and uh, then there's everybody in between as far as familiarity goes. But here's the deal. We all have this one thing in common, whether we know each other or not. You know us. You love us. You are for us and not against us. There's nothing that could ever separate us from your love, the Bible says. And so as as we kind of walk through your scripture and we read stories like this one with Jesus and Nicodemus and and we see the things that, you know, uh, you reveal there. My prayer is first for anybody who doesn't know you that they'd find you today, that they'd, like Nicodemus, get through the, the parts they don't understand, get through the rebellion that everybody struggles with and just, you know, by faith receive you today. But those of us who have, who have chosen that, thank you for that grace. I know that, you know, uh, that, that is something that you gave us. That in our sin, we, we wouldn't be interested in you at all, but by your spirit, you've prompted all of us who know you into this life with you. Thank you for that. God, would you quicken us? Would you help us to stay in that belief even as we kind of get more accustomed to this Um, belief that we have in you. I I know it can just kind of fade into the background. We can kind of be in the gym and not be working out. God, give us your grace to stay um, actively applied in this life with you, seeing you, seeking you, receiving from you what only you can give. Help us to believe and have life in your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. That's it. Thanks for coming to church. God bless you as you go.